Oh, Ayla Brooke and the Soundman on a Tuesday morning. Is there anything better than that? It is February 1st. Welcome to February 2022, everybody. We say goodbye to the year of the ox. We enter the year of the tiger. It is the lunar new year. And uh, a big shout out to everybody that's celebrating that today. I see it all over my Instagram. Everybody's wearing red. I love it. It's also the beginning of dry February, which means that some people are going to be a little more ornery. And uh, probably also means that some people are also going to find a little more clarity through the month of February. If there's anybody else that's going to be participating in dry February, including my pal walks, who's participating in dry ish February, he tells me, which I said, that's more like damp February. Is this, is this guy that has like like literally like 2000 rules for how to do it's, dry this February? Is, I tried to yeah. get it. I tried to get into his proposal last week yeah. that he sent me on his point system because he loves sports. He loves fantasy, the hockey, football, football announcement today, by the way, a huge one. And uh, and he uh, he likes keeping track and keeping score. And he so he wants to have this point system where you get points for not drinking and you get docked points for drinking. And I, I thought it might just be easier if we just declare a moratorium on it for the month so we'll see where that goes what's the football news you say tom brady i think inarguably can i say that i know that there's going to be some uh, peyton manning fans there will be some john elway fans and some joe montana fans and and who else would be considered i think in the conversation around the greatest of all time at the quarterback position maybe dan marino never won a super bowl this guy won seven of them look at that six in boston with the New England Patriots, one of them in Tampa Bay, his first year there with the Bucks. Tom Brady announcing literally just a few minutes ago that he's going to walk away from the game that has, of course, given him everything. A, a pretty beautiful post, actually, on his Instagram. He says, I've always believed the sport of football is an all-in proposition, and if a 100% competitive commitment isn't there, you won't succeed. He says, success is what I love so much about our game. There's a physical, mental, emotional challenge every single day. That's allowed me to maximize my highest potential. I've tried my very best these past 22 years. No shortcuts to success on the field or in life. He says it's difficult for me to write, but here it goes. I am not going to make that competitive commitment anymore. I've loved my NFL career. Now it's time to focus my time and energy on other things that require my attention. 22 years in the league and seven Super Bowls, averaging a Super Bowl every three seasons. That is bananas. And I'm like the hugest football guy, but I do know that Tom Brady would be on the Mount Rushmore of NFLers. I think inarguably, I don't I keep using that word because as far as I can tell, even people that hated the Pats, it was like hating the Bulls when Jordan was there. Right. It was like hating the Oilers in the 80s when Gretzky and Messier were there. Even I've, I've seen even some of those football fans say yeah he, he was pretty good he was pretty good so congratulations to tom brady I, I mean i know he's the athlete that people love to hate as a matter of fact they kind of want to pull our team on this let's see plus we're keeping an eye on other news of the day we've got a great show in store for you let me remind you that this show happens because of our friends at bitcoin well They've been in on this sponsorship commitment since the very beginning. We were talking to them when we were launching this show. They said, we want the title sponsorship, and they've supported us every step of the way, including on a personal level. I mean, I used to go into Bitcoin well way before Real Talk was a thing and say, can you explain this thing to me? I literally have no idea what this is all about. I just the whole Bitcoin thing just doesn't quite. What are these miners doing and what's the big? And they'd, they'd, okay, they'd say, let's start at the beginning. I appreciate that. If that's where you're at, 
I recommend Bitcoin well. You'll find them under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So don't worry, there's still all hell breaking loose at the Canada-U.S. border, and we'll talk about it. And and there's mutiny, or at least there appears to be, in Ottawa. Uh, Aaron O'Toole facing a caucus revolt. He's defiantly saying, I'm not going anywhere. So we're going to get into that. And then, of course, other news of the day and includes a pretty exciting announcement about uh, vaccines for kids under five. And Sarah Hoyles is keeping her eye on that story. But but what a lot of people are going to be talking about today, I don't think you have to be a huge NFL fan. And don't worry, everyone, if you're not, we're going to spend 30 minutes talking about it. But Tom Brady, the, the greatest quarterback of all time, announcing his retirement today and um I think if I were to describe the collective response from my colleagues here, Sam Brooks, Sarah Hoyles, it was a it was a collective. Oh, yeah. Sam, is that a, everybody knows you're a big football fan, but you're, you're a huge CFL fan. Your thoughts on Tom yeah. Brady's career and his retirement. I'm a weirdo, man. I um, on a ski trip about five years ago was when uh, they were playing against Philly and I had almost no interview interest in the Super Bowl. So I bet my brother-in-law a friendly 20 bucks that brady would lose and he did and i was very happy about that wow i i like seeing the man taking down a peg he's a little little too smug for my taste well every and and quite frankly if i had seven super bowls and was married to giselle bunkin i would probably be a little bit smug too as a matter of fact i'm surprised he's not more of a smug brick but seriously that would have felt good and you you were got was it just even odds because betting against brady in a super bowl is but you got your cold 20. There you go. I did. Sarah Hoyles, uh, do you have specific thoughts? I and mean, we, everybody knows you're a big basketball fan. I don't know if you pay much attention to the NFL, but your thoughts on Tom Brady? Hoyles, is your mic dead or are you just, yeah, Hoyles' mic's dead. We got no, you. No, no, that you, was me. Okay, that we was got entirely me. Sam is editorial. He's, he's trying to censor. You were about to, you were about <laughs> to say that you, you, you're a big, huge fan of Tom Brady, right? Exactly. No. Okay. Back no, to the. Okay. Okay. No. You're not a big Brady I, fan. Is it because he is because he was so he was on the top of the pile for so many years? Is that why? Well, that. But I find it interesting in his comment in his Instagram post that he said there are no shortcuts to success. Oh, here we on go. On the field or in life. Oh, here we go. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken. There were maybe some shortcuts around deflating a ball. You're talking about deflate gate. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in Boston. Yeah. So to me, I'm kind of like, okay, well, maybe there are no shortcuts as in he'll do anything. Yeah. He will not. He won't leave anything on the field. He won't leave anything to chance. He's willing to take anything and do anything to win. Do we agree that he's not the only person that's ever cheated in the pursuit of a world championship? Yeah, but we've already discussed this, that we need to basically just be honest about it. And uh, if you're going to do it, at least be honest about it. Well, how can you can't uh, be honest about deflating footballs in the game? I I listen. I also at the time of deflate it, I was like that SOB like that SOB. And then I was also kind of like I had kind of a weird respect for it. I was like, that's actually I really respect. It's like I was watching a documentary. Uh, No, it wasn't a documentary. What am I talking about? It was Terry Ryan Sr., you know, the spit and chiclet boys. So Paul Bissonette, Biz Nasty, has been down with Terry and Terry's dad in Newfoundland. And you can find it on their YouTube channel. It's absolutely hilarious. And so he's going and showing the old hockey sticks from like the, the olden golden era, uh, including Bobby Hall. Like we're talking back with a wood twig, Sarah, where they used to put the blades in boiling water and bend them. And Bobby Hall's stick 
Now, it was pre sort of where the NHL really started having to take it seriously. Just ask Marty McSorley. But but they're showing these old sticks and like that was like not maybe not technically cheating, but innovating, you know, personal innovation. And I thought that the attention to detail where a quarterback allegedly or otherwise deflates the footballs just a bit to make them easier for his receivers to catch. I thought I kind of like that. Well, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, he said no shortcuts, so he didn't take a shortcut. He he was he innovated. And so why can't we just give him credit for that? Why can't he just be honest about it so we can give him the credit that he is due? I totally agree with you, Sarah. And this comes back to our steroid Olympics. And we received so many emails from real talkers that have suspended their compassion and suspended their common sense to get on board with the idea of a, of a steroid fueled Olympic Games. And we love it. So, okay, this is good. I I was hoping, I was hoping that this would start on the right foot, and it certainly has. Now, Scott is already chiming in. He sees our wide shot in studio, and he says, I know the Real Talk team doesn't want to get distracted, but really, curling should be on the TV, says Scott. The thing is, Scott, we're trying to keep an eye, and we would put curling, don't really, though, because there's, there's... (laughs) Because can I? I love curling. Well, I'm I'm sort of feeling like there might be, and I'm and I sure hope there's not, but that there might be developments at the Canada U.S. border, just south of Lethbridge, Alberta. It's the Coots border crossing, and Sarah. A bit of a change since we spoke about this yesterday. These are a whole bunch of truckers there that are blocking the border. Uh, they say they're upset about the vaccine mandates and uh, the RCMP. People have been calling on the RCMP for days now. There are people that have been trapped there for four days, saying, "When are you going to?" step up here and start making an arrest, start enforcing the law. And as of yesterday afternoon, Hoyles, that's what the RCMP say they're going to do. Yeah, they say uh, this is not lawful. It's it's time to wrap it up. And if we have to arrest folks, we will. I mean, it's interesting. The mayor of Coots, it's just got 250 residents. He said, like, get the heck out of here. I want them gone, is what he has said. It's, uh, it's, it's hampering the the traffic there, as you can see. And let, let's let just stop calling it the truck. Like the, there are some truckers, sure, but there are a heck of a lot of other truckers. You know what? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you're about to make an important point. <laughs> Was I? Uh, <laughs> there are a heck of a lot of other truckers that uh, are experiencing. They're getting screwed in- is what you're trying to say. There you go. They're getting screwed. I uh, saw a guy in the news last night on the national. He's sitting there, been sitting there for three days with a load of potatoes going like he's like, I don't support this. None of us support this. He says the whole vaccine mandate. He says that's health and safety. He goes, we don't support this blockade. I got to get my potatoes through here. Right. Uh, what's interesting is that, you know, this so-called trucker convoy that went to Ottawa, there were way more so-called, you know, civilian vehicles than there were big rigs. This one at the border is like big rigs that's undeniable there's big big trucks everywhere now the question is what are the rcmp going to do about it And we're keeping a keen eye on this the premier alberta's premier jason kenny <clears throat> says it's unacceptable he's condemning it everybody's wondering hey what was the deal with this we're coming up on two years ago this was the end of february of 2020 now what was fresh in everyone's memory around that time there was indigenous blockades of railways across the country there had been some blockades impacting at least early stage Pipeline development, LNG pipeline development, coastal gas link, Ferry Creek, all this, you know, BC, you know, Alberta was hyper aware of the impact that these blockades can have on industry. And that's kind of the point. It's kind of why people do them. 
And coming up on two years ago, this was the end of February a couple of years ago, Alberta's premier implemented legislation. He said we were going to take a stand against this kind of stuff. Here was Jason Kenney. Said this. uh, I'm pleased to announce today uh, that tomorrow following the throne speech, I will table bill number one of the next session of Alberta's legislature, the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act, which will create new stiff penalties uh, for anyone who riots on or seeks to impair critical economic infrastructure, including railways in the province of Alberta. Okay, so everyone's going, well, what's the deal, pal? Like, if this doesn't qualify, what qualifies, right? Uh, Senior Cabinet Minister Doug Schweitzer, the United Conservative Cabinet Minister yesterday, condemning the protest and and also, you know, I mean, putting square in in his crosshairs, one of his colleagues, right? A a conservative, a United Conservative, Grant Hunter, the MLA that took his grandkids down there. There were a couple of them, in fact. Uh, Minister Schweitzer yesterday saying that's totally unacceptable. And what about this with the Canadian Meat Council? Like you want to talk about Alberta? You want to talk about symbolism in Alberta? You want to talk about people that carry powerful influence in the province of Alberta? What about the Canadian Meat Council? What about beef? How about this from the council yesterday? There are over 150 loads of Canadian beef stuck at the Coots border. Our members are going to have to slow down production if this keeps up. What is the government's approach to fix this? Now, I know that, you know, a lot of the complaints that will reach government will fall on deaf ears. But once the meat lobby chimes in, I mean, look at the management of COVID-19. Look what happened in Brooks. Look what happened in High River. So you have to imagine that when the Canadian Meat Council starts tweeting about the fact they're going to have to scale down beef production because of this border blockade, that's what will get this thing moving. It could be like a nutritionist slogan, beef, it'll get you moving. Actually, I think it does the opposite, doesn't it? I'm not sure. Either way, it's a shitty situation in both of the contexts we're talking about. I'm freewheeling here, believe it or not. <laughs> Jasper Joel tweeted yesterday, blocking truckers and people from getting home or doing their jobs, exhibiting racist symbols to scare minorities and convoys is unacceptable and illegal. Those stuck are without food, medications, or have emergencies. Jason Kenney must act to protect Albertans and our economy. And how about this from a group of South Asian truckers that were there at the border? They were grateful, as you're about to hear, that that a reporter was even interested in talking to them. I mean, these are the truckers, right? These are ones that are sitting there stuck. There are a group of people, like the Canadian truckers, we are stuck here on the Coots, Montana, Feedgrass Port of Entry. The thing is, that nobody is like even listening to us even the, we have talked to like canada border patrol even the u.s canada patrol they told us like don't even like talk to us you can't even report us nobody is like hearing for us we are a lot of truckers they don't even have food some of them have like the medical issues some of them have like asthma some of them have like thyroid issues but no one is listening to us no one's listening to us so the message is pretty clear this is not a unanimous trucker lobby And these uh, drivers that are blocking this border right now are not speaking on behalf of truckers across the country, the 90 percent of them that are vaccinated and that are wanting to work. You can share your thoughts on this. And in in just a moment, lawyer Avnish Nanda, he's been tweeting about truckers. That's not why he's coming on the show. But I want to ask him about this in just a second before we get into that and the story around Alberta's top court, the Court of Appeal dismissing a challenge related 
to supervised consumption services. You're not going to want to miss this story. Mom, Stop the Harm is joining us as well. But we want to remind you that our friends at Local Waste, man, it feels like every time I talk about Local Waste right now, I want to just remind you how grateful we are that their team stepped up at our Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic, performed CPR on a guy that needed it desperately and saved a life. I could talk about that all day long. I could talk about that for the rest of the year. But I also want to remind you that they do commercial and construction, residential waste and recycling collection. Oh, and yeah, they're hiring right now. If you're tuning in from Northern Alberta, heck, if you're tuning in from anywhere in Western Canada and you're looking for work, you want to work for a company that values its employees, that's family owned, and that's growing year over year every year, Local Waste is hiring in White Court. They say we make our core purpose, we live our core purpose every day And they've got a post there for a customer relationships manager. If you're good with people, this could be a great fit. Check out localwaste.ca. Our friends at Eden Landscaping, a friendly reminder that if you wait too long, if you wait until May or June or July to give them a call about a landscaping project, I don't want to speak for Mike, but let's just say your chances diminish that your project's going to be done by July or August. Construction materials oftentimes a little more difficult to procure these days, and sometimes the process takes a little bit longer. I mean, look what we were just talking about. Supply chain, truckers, border blockades. Mike would love to get talking to you today, bringing your outdoor space to life. If you have a landscape project you're finally ready to move forward on, I recommend landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, news broke uh, just yesterday that Alberta's top court has dismissed an appeal from harm reduction advocates, including Mom Stop the Harm. We're going to talk to them in just a second who tried to stop a, a provincial policy. This is a new policy in Alberta requiring people that want to utilize these supervised consumption services uh, to provide their health care number to get inside. The rule comes into effect today, as a matter of fact. Uh, it was an emergency request put in front of the Alberta Court of Appeal on Friday after a judge denied an initial application and advocates and harm reduction advocates are saying that this could have a huge impact and not in a good way when it comes to literally matters of life and death. Avnish Nanda joining us, a lawyer representing this group, Kim Porter with Moms Stop the Harm, and we're grateful to have both of them here with us today. Welcome to Real Talk. Avnish, before we go any further, you have been quite vocal about this so-called freedom truckers convoy. There's the border blockade going on. I don't want to take us off track, but you're a lawyer. I value your opinion on this, and you've been making some pretty powerful points over the last few days. Can I ask you to chime in on what you've seen in Canada this past week? Yeah, it's it's quite disappointing. I know a lot of uh, truckers, uh, mainly South Asian, mainly working class folks who need to drive these loads to make money to support their families. And they've just been in these real dire straits uh, over the last little bit, particularly folks coming up or driving through the Coots um, border crossing. And if you see the video you showed at the top just shows that desperation. You know, there's folks with medical conditions that can't get home, folks who have, you know, are just trying to make money, trying to see return home after, you know, a couple of days of driving. And it's just, uh, it's, it's sad. We were having an interesting team conversation off air before the show went on today. And we're going, okay, the RCMP say that, they're preparing to make arrests and they're starting to take action. Sam's got a good point. He goes, what are they going to do? There's like 200 big rigs. They're going to like arrest 200 people and tow 200 semis. I mean, is that literally what they would do? I mean, <laughs> what's your speculation on how the RCMP would manage something like this? Uh, I have no idea, but you know, I bet you they could find enough people, 
in Northeast Calgary or Mill Woods to go down there to move these rigs. I, I, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right about that. All right, let's get to the serious business of, of what we're talking about here with this court decision. I know it was a, a disappointing one. And, and Kim, maybe we'll get you to tee this up for us, this new policy that's requiring basically identification for people to utilize these supervised consumption services. Why do you believe and why does Mums Stop the Harm believe that it's so problematic? Uh, thanks for having me today. First of all, I want to comment on your background. It could be the Edward Munch uh, photo with um, all of us being in there in the screen. And that's um, how I feel right now. Hmm. Uh, so um, we see this as another barrier for people that are um, already in vulnerable situations um, using supervised consumption sites and um, to have to go into these sites and give personal identifying numbers um, is just not in their best interest. It's being um, promoted as a way to get them into um, supports. Um, those supports are accessible for them regardless of whether they give their number or not. I uh, fell off my bike a year ago, um, got put in an ambulance. Nobody asked me for any identifying information. That level of support is necessary for um, appropriate and um, necessary healthcare, and it's human right. Um, so we um, see this as um, another way that um, our loved ones are are going to be harmed. Kim, you you commented on my background here. This Jay Bigham painting, a beautiful one. <clears throat> Let me ask you about your background. Let me ask you about why you're advocating here today and around the clock. Whose photo do we see over your shoulder there? Thanks. Thanks for noticing that, Ryan. That's my son, Neil. Um, he uh, died five years ago from fentanyl poisoning. And um, he's always sitting there on my shoulder, whether I'm here in my office or out for a walk. Um, I advocate, number one, because of him and because of the over 21,000 lives that have been lost needlessly to this um, crisis. I, I advocate because what I believe is happening is wrong and um, I was brought up to do the right thing and uh, that's, that goes deep within my brain and my heart. And I also, although the, the, the hope factor isn't uh, always at the forefront, but I always try to stay in touch with um, hope for a better world and uh, the um, responsibility that I feel as a human being on this planet to continue doing um, the right and good thing. Uh, Kim, you know, oftentimes in these interviews, we, we're, we're just so focused on the details and moving the conversation forward. And, and we don't take a second uh, to just reflect on what someone's just shared. And, and I want to just convey our sympathies and, and I'm so sorry for your loss and for the loss of your son and, and the advocacy that you participate in and that this group does. I mean, Mom Stop the Harm, we've been speaking for years now, really is remarkable. It's heartbreaking and it's remarkable at the same time. Avnish, I, I don't want to ask you to carry water for the government. I mean, you're the one representing the appeal here. But what could be the government's motivation, do you think, for implementing uh, these new policies, for requiring health numbers from people that want to utilize these services and What's the pushback? Why do you think the courts have decided what they did? Sure. So 
the government's position was that we need these measures to be put in place uh, to help make better policy, um, government policy, so we can track people through the system, uh, we can connect them to other healthcare service providers. Uh, but this is stuff that's already happening. This is stuff that's happening regardless of a PHN. And what we presented to the court through various public health experts, through the evidence of substance users, and what the court accepted, and this is key, the court accepted that as a result of these new measures, people would die. Substance users would die. But according to the Court of Appeal, um, the, the, the issue for them was, we don't know how many people will die. Well, you know, 10 people die, 100 people will die, 1,000 people will die. And because we don't know the exact number, the court said they wouldn't issue an injunction. And what, you know, Mom Stop the Harm, the Lethbridge Overdose Prevention Society took the position before that court was, even one death, one preventable death is too many. And it's just remarkable, it's unprecedented. Um, this court uh, really sanctioned the death of vulnerable marginalized people uh, in this province as a result of this me measure. And it's, uh, it's confounding. Uh, I have had lawyers, um, people across this country reach out to me about this decision, unable to understand how a court can say that it's okay for these people to die because we don't know how many will die. And we're going to let this government measure that is the cause of the deaths to remain in place. Uh, it's just, uh, it's hard to describe the logic here. We may not be able to say, uh, okay, specifically, like, here's the number. The number is 1146. But we do know uh, what de deaths look like, generally speaking. We do know that there is an opioid epidemic. There's, there's a crisis uh, across the country. There are parallel health crises right now and we also know that there have been zero recorded deaths at supervised consumption services so let me ask you first kim i'll get both of you to take this question what is the court's decision as described by mr nanda what does the court's decision tell you about where attitudes are at least in some elements or some places some pockets of our society the court decision tells me that they value the um, the balance of scale weighs heavier on the side of uh, the government being allowed to make policies over the value of life. And um, I think uh, they, they um, aren't sure what the irreparable harm looks like. And I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like getting an autopsy report in the mail and trying to read um, the information in that. That's what irreparable harm looks like. What does it tell you, Avnish? That this court didn't value the lives of substance users. That's what it tells, tell, from, from my perspective. Um, you know, in all other scenarios where a court has dealt with um, an injunction application where the loss of life is on the table, like literal the loss of life, and the court accepted that, that is enough to issue an injunction. For some reason, when it comes to substance users, the most vulnerable and marginalized people in our society, in this province, that was not enough. And, and you know, it raises the question, you know, would five substance users deaths be sufficient? Would 10, would a thousand? It's, it's, it's just, uh, it's reasoning that doesn't make sense. And I think that the average Albertan would hear this um, logic from this, the court and really scratch their heads. Um, we're talking about the loss of life. I, I just, I can't stress that enough. I mean, you know, I mean, I have one number in front of me, at least uh, between January and October of 2021. So 10 months of last year, 
almost 1,400 people in Alberta died from substance-related overdoses. 1,400. That's up 26% from that period the year before. And Kim, there's really no signs of that trend reversing right now. I hate to put it that way. I want to remind people that if I could sit here and read almost 1,400 names, it would be on me to do that. These are people. We oftentimes have to remind ourselves statistics get so lost in the mix. It feels like a scoreboard. These are people's lives. So what are the next steps? I mean, there's people that are going to hear this. People that are going to walk that, watch this and say, well, what can we do? I mean, we, we lose at the highest court in Alberta, the Court of Appeal. So where do we go from here? I know that Mom's Stop the Harm isn't about to fold up its advocacy. No, uh, one of the things that uh, we've done um, as members of Mom's Stop the Harm is we've um, last week we had a phone call with um, the federal minister of addictions and mental health, Carolyn Bennett, and we asked her to um, for her help in um, looking at the uh, Controlled Drug and Substance Use Act. And um, today or yesterday, we sent a, a letter as well to um, the Federal Minister of Justice, Lametti, asking for his help in um, mandating that the um, collection of um, personal health numbers is um, not done and to ensure that people using supervised consumption sites remain anonymous. As far as this court case goes, I will leave that up to Abby to discuss what our next plans are. Yeah. And I, I just want to sort of infuse some perspective here. This is just anecdotal. This is a civilian's perspective of someone not involved, but I've, I've made it very well known. My brother's been on this show before. Kyle works at Insight in Vancouver, in East Vancouver. It's it's probably the, the global model for supervised consumption services. And Kyle tells me about the nicknames, the handles that their clients use, and they know them by these nicknames. And there's a, a wonderful type of relationship that's created there that connects people ultimately with health services. It's a really effective model. He's so proud that no one has ever died at Insight. And uh, Avnish, I know that this is a big deal because Kyle tells me, I mean, there's people from all walks of life, by the way, that utilize these services. Kyle tells me there's guys that'll come in and put down their briefcase and take off their blazer and sit down and use drugs and then leave. And uh, he's told me straight out that if people had to provide driver's licenses and personal health numbers and put their name up on a whiteboard, they'd walk in and they'd walk right back out. There's no way they'd utilize the service. They could very well be using a loan, whether that's a back alley, whether that's their apartment. And if they overdose, it's lights out. So it's known that this is a harmful policy that's being introduced. But what Kim's describing I mean, this gets messy, right? We don't want to get too into the weeds. But once you start asking the feds to start intervening on provincial health policy, uh, that's where the provinces really clap back, right? Well, the thing is, is that prior to spring of last year, the only federal regime to govern supervised consumption services was the federal regime. So Alberta is new to the table. And Kim is right. The, the only government that gives authorization for supervised consumption services um, is the federal government even under the provincial legislation we need to get federal approval first to get provincial approval so all carolyn bennett has to do is say that okay in order to get a supervised consumption site uh, in, or, in order to be sanctioned you have to deliver these services in an anonymous and confidential manner that's all she has to send a memo through health canada to all the supervised consumption service providers this case is done hang this on are you telling me this could be over in 10 minutes 10 minutes 
Okay. Well, that's where we'll focus our attention. That's where you're, I know, you're, you're like, yeah, obviously, right? I mean, that's where you go from here. Kim just said that's where, like, obviously, let's go. I didn't realize that was an option. I mean, yeah, that, it's an option. Well, there we go. Uh, yeah. And this is, the, I mean, this is the federal government that, I, in, in my mind, uh, this strikes me as the type of federal government that would see value in this type of health service. Kim, would you agree? That's that's our hope. Yes. Yeah. And from our conversations have showed that uh, they are in favor. It's um, the next step is the hoops that they have to jump through to make this legislated. See, if this was a scenario in Quebec, I wouldn't have much hope. Uh, the federal government's not looking to pick fights in Quebec. Federal government's not afraid of picking fights in Alberta. I, I, I think that they have um, they've assisted Alberta. Here I go. I'm going to start a big fucking brouhaha again. But they've they've done what they can in Alberta, buying pipelines and the like. Uh, but at the same time, I think the federal government would not hesitate to implement policy that could save people's lives through the course of a health crisis like this. I'll be curious to see where this goes. I really appreciate the two of you shining light on this so we can better understand it. Is there any important detail that we have missed, Kim or Avnish, that you think is really important for people to understand about this conversation? Avnish, you just raised your eyebrows. What's up? As of yet last night, uh, Edmonton Journal broke a story that they're actually delaying now this PHN requirement until April. Oh, yeah. So they argued in court last week that any attempt to stop them from implementing it today would undermine the public uh, interest, would cause havoc for them. And then after the Court of Appeal decision, they slowly announced that, uh, yeah, we're going to delay uh, this implementation. So, um, you know, I, I don't know what, the, what what this province is doing. Does that feel um, like a win? I, I don't know if it feels like a win. I, I think that it feels like they're messing with us. Like, you know, like why say something different in the court, in the courts relative to the public? And if people are upset about this, I think, you know, email your, your provincial government, contact your liberal MPs in this province, uh, Randy Bossano, George Chahal, and push them to do the right thing. Um, they're just sitting on their, on, on, they're sitting on their hands here. We've had so many conversations with them. They could fix this immediately. Is that right? You, you have had conversations with liberal MPs in Alberta and you get the sense that they're not taking it seriously? Well, to fair, we've had conversation only with Carolyn Bennett, and okay. it's, it's not sufficient. The, the response, like, we need to move quickly here. All right. Randy Boston's team actually reached out to us a few days ago. There's something going on. I can't remember. No offense to him. There's just a lot going on over here, and, and they've asked that we get him on the show. So maybe this will be the impetus for that. Uh, so we'll bring Randy on, and I'm going to ask him about this. All right. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Uh, hey, to the two of you, Kim, Avnish, I, you, I, geez, I say it every time I talk to you. I've just got the world of respect for both of you. Um, and, and Kim, in particular, your group of moms, uh, parents, moms, stop the harm is just I, I just call on people to support you wherever they can. And I want to thank you for joining us this morning on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this Avnish Nanda, Kim Porter. Uh, you can let us know what you think. Of course, you know, our email address, talk at ryanjesperson.com. You can hit us up on our hashtag Real Talk RG and be sure to share our content. Sarah pushes out our tweets with the highlights and the links to our full interviews every day around, you know, probably noon ish approximately. And uh, well, it depends on where in the country you're listening to us from. And uh, be sure to share that content with anybody that you think might benefit from hearing this conversation. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. So cool to see them out at the Pond Hockey Tournament this past weekend as well. Just a bunch of beauties. The sun was shining out there, and I. But they've all got their sunglasses on. They're thinking this is a great day for solar. I'm like, oh, you guys, I love it. This industry is just booming. The technology and the affordability has really, really taken dramatic steps forward over the past number of years. 
And right now, Kubi is hiring. Are you a journeyman electrician? Are you an electrician's apprentice? Or maybe you're just coming out of high school or maybe even out of high school for a few years and you're looking for something. You're looking for a sign of maybe the next step forward early in your career. Kubi would love to talk to you. You go, yeah, but I don't have electrical experience. No matter. Jake says, we're looking for good people. We're looking for good team members and journeymen too. Listen, if you have 20 years experience, they'd love to hear from you. KubiEnergy.ca is where you can make contact with them and good luck on your job hunt. If you're heading out of town, we recommend, I personally recommend, because this is where we park our vehicles at Edmonton International Airport when we're heading out of town, Jet Set Airport Parking. You can save money by booking online, minimum of 24 hours ahead of your departure, all the way through for travel till the end of 2022, till the end of the year, the promo code REALTALK at jetsetparking.com gets you airport parking for $7 a day. That's nothing, $7 a day to park at Jet Set Parking with the promo code REALTALK at jetsetparking.com. And we've extended our partnership with Kendall Jackson. They are the Real Talk Wine of the Month. Do I really have to talk about some of the best wine that I've ever tasted as I kick off my dry February? Well, I'm pretty sure Kendall Jackson's paying you to, so you probably should. Yeah, that's right. I probably still will. I'll just look back on wonderful bottles of Kendall Jackson I've enjoyed, and then I will look forward to future bottles. We should probably talk about the bottles that are that are aging really well. That would be ah, a, that would be a good there thought. You, go. you know, Kendall Jackson's been family owned for more than three decades. You go, well, that's a huge company. Yeah, family owned and family run still. That's becoming a rarity in the wine industry, if you know. And today, you know, Kendall Jackson's estate vineyards include twelve thousand acres through cool coastal California regions, and, and that means that all of their Chardonnays, all of their Pinot Noirs are made with 100% varietal to retain the purity of their expression. They've got an amazing commitment to sustainability. That's what really impressed us right out of the gates. You can read more about Kendall Jackson at KJ.com. We have received so many emails over the past couple of days, and I've written back to a few of you in particular yesterday. I said, I promise you I'm going to read your emails on the show this week because I don't want the time to pass without these emails hitting this audience. This one from Leslie was really remarkable. The the subject lines desecration of the National War Memorial and the failure of elected members of parliament to say anything. We received this from Leslie on Sunday, a couple of days ago, Sunday afternoon. And Leslie said, Ryan, I'm sure that you're going to get many letters regarding the events that happened in Ottawa this weekend. But I wanted to add my voice to those that are outraged, angry and deeply saddened. Leslie says on Friday, I tested positive for COVID and I had to make the phone call to both my husband And my mother that while I got the damn thing, I at least have a very mild case of it. So after having managed to avoid it, I'm stuck here in isolation in Petawawa away from my family and my coworkers. I'm doing the right thing and I'm making sure that I keep other people healthy. Doing the right thing is what my chosen family and employer, the Canadian Armed Forces, has taught me and encouraged me to model. And while we are told to not be political, I think that ship sailed. When I saw the responses from my conservative MP, Damian Curick and MLA Garth Roselle Roswell, 
had to watching somebody dance on the grave of the unknown soldier, people throwing cigarette ashes and butts and urinating again on the National War Memorial. Mr. Roswell was silent, but he was more than willing to greet the convoy when it rolled through Lloyd Minster. And Mr. Curick gleefully doled out coffee to so-called protesters alongside another MP from Alberta. His response, three words. Yes, thanks, Aaron, and reposted what Mr. O'Toole, the conservative leader, uh, his response, his outrage over the desecration toward the monument to Terry Fox and to that National War Memorial as well. Insufficient. Both of these men are representatives of a region of the country that includes CFB Wainwright, the Canadian Forces Base, the largest training base for the Army in Western Canada. One would think that they might be more than willing to denounce what happened, but what do we get? Silence. And the worst part is that they will gleefully come out, I'm sure, during Remembrance Day and and claim to the heavens and the earth how they're so grateful for the military, for everything that serving members give back to this nation. Says Leslie Jespo, I can't speak for all of us that are posted to CFB Wainwright, but I will say this for my family. We are sick and tired of being used to prop up lies, disinformation, and being used by people that claim they are fighting for freedom and liberties. I've served in countries and I've seen what a nation without freedom and liberties looks like. We're not close to that. Freedom does not mean freedom from responsibility. And says, but I know that both of my elected officials are sitting there and given the whole, well, these were isolated cases. These were just a few people kind of bullshit, says Leslie. People were actively walking around with hate symbols, calling for the execution of the prime minister, attacking mainstream journalists, trying to report on the news. And God only knows what else. And the worst part is that I have friends and family in Ottawa that are terrified to leave their homes or go to work. Some of them are members of the LGBTQ community. They're scared they're going to be attacked by these so-called freedom fighters, says Leslie, a captain. This letter is not about naming and shaming. It's about taking to task our elected officials that are not taking a stand against hate and bigotry and science denialism and many more. Enough is enough. And as far as I'm concerned, not only are any of these named gentlemen not welcome anywhere near CFB Wainwright, but that should be extended to all elected officials that did nothing this weekend or gave just the barest of platitudes. Leslie says, I'm also the mayor of Denwood, which means that I'm the head of the community association for those of us that live on the base. And we've got issues with health care and education that are greatly affecting us. And we'd appreciate more conversation about that. Leslie sent me a bunch of links, a remarkable email. These are the types of messages from real talkers that inform our editorial process that allow us to represent voices that aren't always heard. And you can be in touch with us anytime. We had a powerful conversation yesterday about initiatives in some Canadian cities. Uh, I heard from some of you pointing out that there have been initiatives in our home city of Edmonton. We did not include Edmonton in the conversation yesterday. We try to touch on as many jurisdictions across Canada as we can. The city of Toronto, the city of Calgary launching their pilot project today, as a matter of fact, and the city of Red Deer that's taken a pilot project and turned it permanent, diverting 911 calls from police to appropriate social supports. Now, before we get to an individual, a real talker, an audience member that said, hey, I've got a personal experience here and brace yourselves for a powerful conversation, by the way, I wanted to provide a bit of context. And so here yesterday 
on our show is Calgary Police Superintendent Asif Rashid. Police are looking to divest themselves of certain types of calls for service where members of the community have told us time and time again that we are not the best modality of response. So, of course, it's only a five-month project. Uh, I'm optimistic that we'll be able to retain it uh, beyond, and that will come on the heels of a robust evaluation plan that we're doing. Enhancing the quality of life for vulnerable Calgarians, a diminished uh, number of calls for service that uh, police officers have to respond to, including mental health uh, and addictions crises, uh, but also that warm handoff, that continuity of care to ensure that members of our community are being connected with the right resource. So if you missed that conversation, a really excellent one, you can find it on our podcast archive. You're looking for the January 31st show. You can find it, of course, on our YouTube channel. Thanks to everybody that subscribes to our YouTube channel. Amber Cannon reached out after she heard that interview. She tweeted at me. She said, hey, Ryan, I would love to give my perspective as someone who lives with a mental health condition, how this would affect me and many others in a crisis situation. And I'm grateful that Amber, a social justice and mental health advocate, has agreed to join us on the show. A very warm welcome to you, Amber, and thanks for being here on Real Talk this morning. Hi, good morning, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Why don't we get to know you a little bit? And and Amber, I invite you to share whatever you're comfortable to share. You and I have already spoken off camera about why this resonated with you so much. Would you share with us some of the details of your personal journey? So just to give a little bit of history, I've struggled with mental health issues for my entire adult life, um, going back to when I was a youth. And um, I've been Form 10 by Calgary Police and brought into the hospital over 100 times. Um, So hearing that diversion calls are going to go to something like 211, I'm questioning whether that's an appropriate resource for people struggling with mental health issues. Amber, just so we understand, Form 10, uh, I want to be clear about this. Form 10 is is a scenario that would empower or allow police to take someone into protective custody, would you call it, or into custody to transport you to hospital during a mental health incident? Correct. So Form 10 is what police use to... Um, send you out to a hospital if you're a danger to yourself or somebody else, or that they have to have five, I believe five criteria under the mental health act um, to send you to the hospital. Now you're saying that you've been involved in a scenario like this more than 100 times. Can we, can we talk about the impact of an experience like this? Um, It's traumatizing. It's um, I've, being a person who eventually I, I've been in my early years, I was called a frequent flyer by Calgary police, a chronic complainer. Um, it's written in their Calgary police service reports on, on their paperwork um, about me. And um I eventually I got to the point where I believed, I truly believed that I was the district two nutcase and all of Calgary police wanted to see me dead. So I would start deadly force encounters. I was hoping that the Calgary police service would shoot and kill me. You were trying to prompt police to discharge their firearms. Correct. Obviously they didn't. Um, Are you, I don't know how to ask this next question, but I mean, uh, when, when when you find yourself back to a, a healthy place, uh, 
when you when you find yourself back to where you say, I feel like myself again, did you have a feeling of gratitude or relief? I mean, what sort of an impact? I can't imagine the sort of emotion or mental journey that must come with something like that. You know, I, I truly believe even in a healthy state that I'm not worthy. I'm not. Um, even when I'm at my best, deep down in my core, I truly believe that I'm not a productive member of society. And, you know, I still have a lot of work to do on myself. Absolutely. Um Amber, what would sorry, sorry, this hey, this makes me emotional. So. Obviously and understandably, you're showing great courage by talking to me. And I and I told you when we chatted that you're you're talking to a friend here, and this is a safe space, and I want you to feel comfortable to share what you're willing to share. I mean, you're you're talking to us about a, a remarkable type of a situation that you live on a daily basis. What do you think would provide a sense of value what would make you feel valued what are the supports or the services that you and many others you think would benefit from so it's so it's interesting so um psychiatric services are were before the pandemic hit a year-long wait, wait list it was a year-long waitress to see a psychiatrist um it's probably even longer now um, I would like to see community supports in place. Um, people, my neighbors who are, y- you know, um, welcoming and loving and, and will accept me for who I am and, and will appreciate my value um, no matter what state I'm in and not judge me or... Um, Amber, or make me feel unwanted. Mm. You, you told us that your journey uh, with with your mental health challenges uh, began relatively early in your life. When it comes to stigma and when it comes to how society approaches mental health supports and people living with mental illness or mental health challenges, have you seen an improvement? Have you seen less stigma as time goes on and society learns more, people learn more about mental health? I believe the pandemic has definitely um, addressed more issues of people struggling with mental health issues. I'm not so sure about people who are struggling with serious mental health issues, right? People with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, um, my diagnosis is borderline personality disorder. Um, I, and I, and here's where I struggle with like 211 is a definitely a, a great resource. I'm not saying it isn't. Um, but people with who are vulnerable and struggle with serious mental health issues won't benefit from 211. Providing them with, say, a community neighborhood social worker and providing that funding and supports to people who can take those calls and follow up with them and provide them with the appropriate resources would be so much better than a 2 one call system. 
um, for say people who are, you know, do I pay my rent this month or do I pay my utility bill this month? Both are so high and I don't know what to do. People call 911 because they call 911 because they're in crisis. And that's what we're taught to call. I'm in crisis. Who's going to help me? 911. Um, Amber, you told I, me that you told me that that many of these 911 calls you have placed yourself. And I, w- so, I, I can I just say I, I just want to infuse something into this conversation because I imagine you're not watching our live chat right now. Uh, but you've got like this army of people behind you right now. So I just wanted you to know that before we talk, I wanted you to hear from from people like to seek justice. Who says my heart breaks for you, Amber? What about Linda Ray, who says you're demonstrating tremendous courage? Debbie says, Amber, you are worthy. Rose says, Amber, you are worth it. Joan says, Amber, you are not alone. Corinne says we are listening. Amber Deborah says this is a safe space, sending healing vibes. Debbie says we're listening. Genevieve says Amber, you are important. Do you get the point, <laughs> Amber? <laughs> I, Amber, we would be all we would be here all day if I read the whole live chat. Tammy <laughs> says Tammy says you are so worthy, Amber. It's, it's, and thank you for sharing that, Ryan. Um, and the reason I wanted to make the point about nine one one and you calling on your own behalf, Amber, is that not everybody does that. And so right it, now, I feel like you can speak or represent or advocate for more people than just yourself. So here's the thing. I have never called 911 when I'm in crisis. Okay. I have called the 403-266-1234. That's the Calgary Police General number in Calgary. Non-emergency number. Correct. correct. Okay, pardon me. Um, I have called 811. I have called the distress center. The distress center has always transferred or sent police officers to my door to form 10 me. Um, the Police and crisis team has been an excellent resource for me. Um, it's a Calgary Police Service, Service Officer matched with a psychiatric nurse. They do follow up. They've been, they've never had to take me to the hospital on a Form 10. 811 has mental health um, nurses that has never sent police for me and has been able to de-escalate a crisis situation my, when my emotions are so high that I can't think for myself and bring myself out of crisis to do that problem-solving skills. Um, so here's my issue. So I, I've even reached out to the social media Calgary Police Service officers. Um, and unfortunately, I was a victim of a Calgary Police Service officer who has engaged in sexual misconduct with me in 2016. I reported him to a his co-worker who reported it to Calgary Police, a supervisor. They did the internal investigation. It was finished in 2017. That police officer was immediately sent to a psychiatrist. Not one senior police officer reached out to me and asked me what kind of psychiatric or mental health services I needed. And that sent me into my first psychotic 
stress-induced psychotic episode. I truly believed and had nightmares for ages that this police officer was going to come to my house. I still believe that the, this police officer is going to come into my house, kill me, and make it look like a suicide. So this is why 911 Calgary Police is not a proper an appropriate resource for people. Not only that, but you, you know, I've heard stories of people who have been beat up by police in their crisis. You shared that video of the States. I watched that video of that man in the States who was shot in, in Tennessee, executed. Yeah. He was executed. Um, and I know I'm going to struggle for years to come because of this police officer amber if if you (laughs) amber let me read let me read a couple of let me read a couple of more messages here linda ray says you are contributing to your community here with your lived experience and with your courage people are talking about holding space for you right now Ewan's thanking the audience, says, I'm so grateful to hear these words of support for Amber. Brenda says, God, don't make junk. You're worth it. <laughs> Brenda's a straight talker. Brenda's a real talker. She knows what's up. Can I swear on here? You can say whatever the fuck you want, Amber. <laughs> fuck, my mom tells me that all the time. God doesn't make junk. Do you believe her? Um, my mom loves me. My mom is my biggest support. I don't think she'd lie to me. Nah, she's not lying to you. Amber, if you want this audience, I mean, I people are going to hear this interview. I Believe me. Oh, no. If I was you, telling a friend of mine before we came on air that I, I'm, you know, in front of 10,000 people plus. <laughs> And she's like, I'm the only one listening. <laughs> well, I told you, I told you when I spoke to you, I said, forget about everybody else. I said, this is me and you. Um, but people are going to share this podcast and they are going to share the YouTube link. Um, what's one thing? I mean, every, I'm taking something from this. My team is taking something from this. This audience is taking a lot from this. But what's one thing? I often ask this. What's one thing that you really want to resonate with people? What's one thing that you want people to take away from this interview and, and walk with and think about and contemplate? Speak. Speak to the people who make those decisions and um, make sure that you're following up and you're in being engaged and that these resources are doing its job that are set up to do its job and divert people and make sure you follow, follow what's going on. Amber, you're going to have to go back and just watch the YouTube replay yourself. Cause I don't have, I can't read all these comments. I mean, this is uh, really, I mean, Terry says my teen has just been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and I'm scared for her future. Thank you for sharing. That's personal. You know, what about, I mean, you know, this is really amazing. Tony says, you're a warrior. 
says we're behind you, you know, and Tracy says this is so powerful and it's so important that she be heard. Thank God she has the strength today to share this. Imagine who else she may save. Tammy's trying to find the technology actually to crawl through the screen and give you a hug. I'm not sure how she's going to do there, but I think that the, I think that the words will act enough, won't they, Amber? Do the words yes. count? Can you can you feel yes. her? I can feel the hug. Debbie says we all do our best every single day, and you're doing fantastic, and you're an awesome human being. Stay strong. Joan says the courage it takes to do an interview like this is absolutely immense. Amber, I knew you were going to do an unbelievable job after our conversation yesterday. I want to thank you for your advocacy. You know, we talked to a lot of people in decision making roles and leadership roles because it's important. To have those conversations, it is equally and sometimes more important uh, to talk to the people with lived experience who the policies impact, the people who the policies affect. And that's you. And we wouldn't be having this conversation had you not reached out by way of Twitter and offered to share your personal experience. And I'm so very grateful. I wonder if you haven't maybe saved a couple lives today by doing this. Thank you for your friendship and your loyalty to this show. And thank you for your courage this morning. Thank you for having me, Brian. That's mental health advocate Amber Cannon. If you're listening to this, I want to remind you that the Canada Suicide Prevention Helpline is always available by way of the Canadian Mental Health Association. That number is 1-833-456-4566. That's 1-833-456-4566, the Canada Suicide Prevention Helpline. When you have a show like called real talk you got to take a minute every once in a while and say it would feel a little bit weird just to roll hot into ad reads right now wouldn't it it feel it feel a little bit strange after you have a, a a conversation that raw and real grill says amber's story speaks for thousands and we need to fight for all of them to seek justice has been chiming in kind of through this whole conversation says I'll be using my privilege and my voice to share this interview with elected officials over and over and over again. And I appreciate everybody this this live chat. I mean, you guys do you know how much this means to just speak people like Chad that just writes in just says thanks. Says thanks, Amber. There's gratitude for people that share like that. Really unbelievable. These are the conversations we want to have. And, and I recognize that's not for everybody. I recognize that you might hear something on this show that impacts you directly. I mean, we've talked to a mom today. Kim Porter lost her son to an accidental overdose. You know, she lost her son to drug poisoning. And here she is talking about it. you think of the courage it takes. You know, I could barely get through yesterday's mention talking about witnessing CPR watching a guy be brought back to life i've been feeling complicated that, that's nothing i mean i'm not talking about the guy's situation i'm talking about my experience that's nothing and i can barely get through it can you imagine coming on this show and talking about losing your son no parent wants to bury their child especially in a traumatic circumstance like that can you imagine the courage it takes can you imagine the courage it takes to come on here and say that i've been formed 10 dozens of times i've had experience with police officers It's not lost on me. It's a privilege that we have to be here, and it's an honor to have these conversations. And of course, with it comes great responsibility. And I so appreciate that we have an audience that joins us every day and that shows up for these conversations that are not easy to have. It means a lot. It really, really means a lot. Our friends at Park Power at parkpower.ca are, are powering our hashtag Real Talk RJ, which is where a lot of these, that's something what's Amber used to get our attention. Real Talk RJ is, is the hashtag for the show and 
Heart Power has been there since the beginning, supporting these types of real conversations. They're your friendly local utilities provider, electricity, natural gas, and internet. And, and Sam, we, we were kind of marveling at that that testimony we, we saw. Was it Larry? I think it was one of our audience members that basically said they switched from, and we can say the big bad guys, right? Epcor. They switched from Epcor. They took their business to Park Power because they have a choice. And whether the savings were unbelievable, they said year over. They said month over month. I think it was the same power usage. Larry got his bill and saved 36% the first month after switching over to Park Power. Music to my ears, buddy. That is fantastic stuff. And check this out, too. This is awesome from Nancy, who says, get this, Nancy, too. So this is two mentions in the past two days, I think. Nancy says, we switched, and this month's bill was 600 bucks. Last year's Epcor bill for the same month was over a grand. She says, check out Park Power. I heard about him on Real Talk. That's like a 40%, 40-plus percent saving. Now, I can't guarantee that for everybody every single month, obviously. <laughs> obviously. But take it from Nancy, Larry, and all the others. And by the way, if you support or if you bring your business to a Real Talk sponsor and you benefit from it, we want to hear about it because we partner with people and companies that we believe in, and that includes the team at Park Power. It also includes the team at Friesen Brothers. This is where my family gets our groceries. As a matter of fact, we're going grocery shopping today because it's February 1st, and the first of the month at Friesen Brothers means that it's 15% off any order over $75. 15% off a grocery order for a family, for an individual, whatever it is. That's a big deal. Friesen Brothers is Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned. You'll find them in 16 Alberta communities, including, and no offense to the other stores, but my four favorite stores, South Edmonton, the Rabbit Hill location is unbelievable. It's not a grocery store. It's like on another level. Same with Fort Saskatchewan, where you can have a cold pint of craft beer, Sam, and a fresh pizza right there in store. Unbelievable. The Stony Plains store is unbelievable. And my favorite part about that, people say, how do I get to the Stony Plain Friesen Brothers? I say you head west on the Yellowhead and you turn left at the Jesperson family farm. That's how you get to the Friesen Brothers in Stony Plain. And then the Friesen Brothers in Hinton, to me, that is the gateway. I was hoping you would bring up Oh, Hinton. you know yeah. I was going to, because I've told you, how many times have I told you about the braised beef short rib mm-hmm. tradition? Anytime me and my pal Bins are heading out snowboarding in Jasper or in Valemont or wherever we're going, we stop at the Friesen Brothers in Hinton for a braised beef short rib. Alberta grown, Alberta owned. You'll find them online at Friesen.com. And how can I talk food without talking about our friends at Dairy Queen, the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park? I'm still waiting to find out what our Real Talk special of the month is for February. It kind of snuck up on us. I think everybody's just taking a moment after How's the pond. How is it February? How is it February? Yeah. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that all of a sudden we're saying, how is it March? And the dry <laughs> February is done. <laughs> but maybe... But maybe to help myself feel better through dry February, I'm just going to crush dilly bars the entire time. It's not a bad plan. It's not a bad plan. I mean, blizzards in lieu of old fashions, I can make that happen. What about an old fashioned blizzard? You'd have cherry chunks in there. You'd have kind of a smoky. All right. Maybe not. You'd have like a bourbon ice cream or like a bourbon caramel on it. Right. Yeah. Shall we suggest it? To the Dairy Queens at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. When you show up there, drive through, in-store, whatever, we want you to let them know that Real Talk sent you. We're grateful for their partnership. What a conversation. Sarah Hoyles is, uh, of course, editorially producing this show, working from her home studio, so to speak. 
and uh, looks like the dogs have the run of the place. This is like becoming a lot of people's favorite part of the show as they get to watch your two pops in the background the entire time. How are you holding up over there? We miss you in studio, pal. Yeah, I'm doing okay. I've got company of the two dogs, which um, I have a puppy. She's about seven months. I foster failed. I, I tried to do like help adopt out some dogs with Zoe's animal rescue. And I ended up adopting one of them. You know, that so, the, the animal rescues that uh, count on that. Yeah. <laughs> like when people show up and say, I'm just going to, f- how long does the fostering last? I'll foster it for a couple of weeks. They go, uh huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A right, couple. Sure. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. So you can see in the background, uh, if people are on YouTube that, yeah, there's the toy box has exploded. Thanks yes. To the puppy. Yes. Well, that's good. Well, they've moved on from greeting all the kids on their way to school, which we get to witness in our morning production meetings. Mm-hmm. And um, yours are as enthusiastic as mine. Keeping watch out, out the front windows, which is awesome. Get off my lawn. Get off get my off lawn. lawn. Get off my lawn. I really liked this email that we got. I don't know if you saw it from Jared about Joe Rogan, and I wanted to get into this. This is a great email yesterday. He said, uh, I said, Jesperson, um, he listened to yesterday's episode. We talked about Joe Rogan a little bit. And um, first of all, I think people maybe have the wrong idea about how I feel about Joe Rogan, but I, but I digress. I want to, I want to give Jared the words and then we can get into this. But he said it was a great episode on Monday, yesterday said, I wanted to throw my two cents in on the whole Joe Rogan situation with Spotify and the parallels that you drew to real talk. If you if you're if you're kind of just joining this and you're going what 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 did Joe Rogan do? Uh, he interviewed a couple of people that that <laughs> were putting basically junk science out, right? And people are pissed off because millions, like tens of millions of people, listen to Joe Rogan. It's the most popular podcast, probably. Do we have we actually can we actually look at the numbers, Sam? Can we actually see? I don't think we can actually see uh, which podcast has the most downloads in the world, but it's easily a top five, top ten type podcast. The Joe Rogan experience got Spotify gave him 100 million bucks. Put it that way to exclusively put his podcast on their platform. A lot of people are choked saying in the middle of a pandemic, you're bringing on people like this that are sharing misinformation. Rogan's been big on the Invermectin a few months ago. He was big on telling young, fit males in particular that you didn't need to get vaccinated if you were feeling healthy. I mean, there's these types of things. There's been a bit of a trend. And so Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and others started saying and, and Brene Brown, by the way, the podcaster, that's a huge one. My wife, Carrie, said to me yesterday, she goes, that's a big deal. Brene Brown pulling her podcast. That's a big deal. Pulling it from Spotify. And so over the weekend, Joe Rogan releases a 10 minute video, which you can watch on his Instagram. If you're so inclined, we shared a bit of it yesterday. And he goes, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I like having conversations with different people with different opinions. And I went, well, well that's one thing we have in common. And we talked about the differences between our two shows, and there are many. And we talked about the similarities, and there are some, including my commitment to conversations that could be unpopular, but there's got to be checks and balances. There's got to be responsibility. And what a lot of people are asking for, there's got to be a disclaimer at the start of podcasts like Joe Rogan's that may venture into that territory. So here goes Jared. He says, let me let me start with Rogan. I genuinely believe that he did not intend for his podcast to end up where it is today and that he's done a poor job of, of stepping up to the plate as it's grown. Like it started with him just bullshitting with his comedian friends and his mixed martial arts buddies. But his, it's grown to include a wide variety of serious, high profile interviews like Elon Musk and Edward Snowden, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Anthony Bourdain, Bernie Sanders, Lance Armstrong. These are fascinating to watch. And I'm with you, Jared. They are. He says, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm listening to him 
mess around with a bunch of comedians or a bunch of his friends in the mixed martial arts. Wonderful. I'm not quite frankly expecting accuracy. I'm not expecting journalistic integrity or balanced commentary for that matter. It's pure entertainment and I'll get my facts and my news elsewhere. However, if I'm listening to Rogan interview Bernie Sanders or a doctor during a pandemic, I do expect accuracy and journalistic integrity and balanced commentary. And he generally fails to deliver on that. The problem is that he tries to ride two horses with the same ass. In fact, his podcast, I'm stealing that for sure. He says his podcasts often alternate between those formats, episode to episode, right? Like BSing with my friends and then serious high profile interviews and sensational or clickbait entertainment is 100% fine as long as it's not mixed in with what could be perceived as serious high profile interviews. And so Jared presents two hypotheses. He says, number one, that's how you say plural hypothesis, right? Hypotheses. I think so. I believe so. I think that's how you do it. That's right. He says, number one, Joe Rogan would be in a much better place if he had split his brand into two separate podcasts, a BS with my friends podcast and then a serious interview podcast where you could have like senior producers lining up guests and they could prep him in advance and there could be live fact checking. But Jared says, obviously, the sad reality is I don't think he wants to do the work with that more serious form of content. He just wants to broadcast his personal off the cuff conversations with high profile people in the world. He says, now looking at real talk, you started the platform with intent. You, you have an editorial board. You have journalistic standards, a senior producer, fact checking, balanced roundtables. He says, I'm not even going to pretend to understand all the other stuff behind the scenes, the work that happens there. You approach all your content, even your puff pieces with this mindset. And guess what happens when you make offhand remarks that are incorrect? Your audience calls you on it. And you issue corrections or apologies or retractions where necessary. Your audience has expectations of journalistic integrity and balanced commentary. You ride one horse with one ass. Thanks, buddy. Hypothesis number two. He says, I would 100% listen to a Jesperson and crew shoots the shit podcast, but it would be a very different show from what you guys are currently doing now. You could probably ditch your editorial board and it definitely wouldn't be my source of news and information. Just fantastic entertainment. That from Jared. I wrote back to him. I said, uh, great email. I'm going to read it. And he said, may I propose a name for the alternative Jespo podcast? And I, I said, sure, go ahead. What is it? He says, joints with Jespo. And I said, I think I know where you're taking this, Jared. Maybe maybe post-COVID. That's why Hoyles is working from home. We figured you out. You're worried. You saw, you're, you're worried this thing's just going to turn into one big hot box. You wanted to get as far away as you possibly could. Not going to get any work done. The, the, the hosts can go into that la-la land. I don't know about the producer. You got to be the serious business in this operation. I try to be. I try to be. <laughs> yeah. Our friends at Y Station every week present our get real question of the week. Uh, let's get into this week's results. We asked you about sleep. We wanted to know about Real Talkers sleep habits and these types of polls that we do. The reason why we do them is because it allows us to compile some data right some information about this audience to take into future conversations about health and wellness let's get into some of the high level this is the, the top line report that we're going to get into here our patreon supporters already have the full report in their email inboxes get this we appreciate of the hundreds of real talkers that chimed in 48 percent of you half of you 
report needing eight to nine hours of sleep a night, but only 19% of you, one in five, say that you're getting it. So half of you say that you need eight to nine hours, but only one in five of you say that you're getting that eight to nine hours. I can't imagine getting eight hours of sleep a night. How about this next one? This is pretty interesting too. 59% of real talkers report getting six to seven hours of sleep a night. It's kind of a probably an average, I would say, wheelhouse that I'd probably fall into ish. 59%. One in four of you, by the way, say that you're anti nap. I'm not sure. Maybe we need to do some nap advocacy here on the show. How do you fall out of love with naps? And finally, you're going to hear some of you going, When am I going to nap exactly, Jesperson? Half of you, right on the nose, 50% of real talkers listed anxiety as a sleep impediment. That's the most common reason among the group. Sarah, Sam, did either of you watch Saturday Night Live this past weekend? Did you see that that hilarious song they did? That I'm up, I'm, um, awake, I'm up. Did you see it, Hoyles? I have not. Yeah. It was so funny. Talking about all the yeah, things but- that keep them up. When their wife's uh, big, long toenail jasmine in the shin. Amazing. And I'm up. And I'm up. Starts talking about, I got to pee and I'm up. So good. We can't, yeah. we, I'd love to play it on the show, but SNL is notoriously, if you try to put their content out on your, you're, you are in doo-doo. I would love to play I it for think, you. We did a lot of justice, right? Like, and I'm up. Uh, I, 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 think we, I think we did all right. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure that Lauren Michaels is going to come calling and offer us a contract, but I think we did okay. <laughs> so uh, here's some of the comments that you left and we, and we invite you to leave comments. So we say like, what's getting in the way of the sleep you need? Obviously 50% of you said anxiety 30 and you could answer more than once, right? 37% of you said general worry about the state of the world. Um, I'm surprised this number's so low. 28% of you just, just over one in four say it's doom scrolling on your phone. That's what keeps me up. It's not anxiety that keeps me up. Um, I just take that into my dreams. I just I just have nightmares all the time, but doom scrolling on my phone keeps me up for sure. If you ever see me tweeting or responding to trolls at three in the morning, just tell me to go to sleep, okay? Work keeps about 28% of you up at night. Kids keep 21% of you up at night. 19% say it's happy scrolling on your phone, okay? And 14% of you say pets, like the cat crawling across your face, like on the SNL skit. So what do you use to help you fall asleep? 22% say equipment like a fan, humidifier, or diffuser. 22% equally say meditation or sleep stories. 21% of you say we've invested in the best sheets, pillows, and duvets we can find. 19%, one in five, utilize a cannabis product to help you fall asleep. One in five. Let's check back in on that one, two, three years from now and see where that goes. And so we asked you to fill in the blanks. What's one thing essential for your nighttime sleep routine? When you say actually deciding to go to sleep instead of procrastinating, that's me too. You are speaking my language. When it's time for another episode of Yellowstone, I say to myself, time to go to bed. You practice consciously relaxing every part of your body. You try to, you're, you're trying to figure out how to stop thinking. Another one of you says, I need to have a face mask and earplugs. My room's got to be pitch black. And I go to bed before the rest of my family. Having those earplugs has really helped. A lot of you talk about temperature. A lot of you talk about your partner being next to you in bed. Say that really helps you going to bed at the same time every night, getting up early, making coffee for your partner as soon as you get up. I've passed that along to my partner as a, no, I'm just kidding. She's amazing. She's always, she's up, carries up like 90 minutes before me. It's wild. Absolutely wild. She's like, we could get up together and have, I'm like, baby, I want you to have your own time, sweetheart. I want you to have your own time. 
And anything else we've asked you, one of you said early to bed, early to rise makes an old man older. <laughs> Another one of you said my husband and I have made our bedroom into the coziest space we can. We only use it for sleeping and other intimate activities. We don't have a TV in the bedroom or hang out in there during the day. So some really fascinating stuff. I appreciate the perspectives. I want to pull this crew. How many hours of sleep do you get on the, on the average night, Brooksy? Oh my God, uh, I'm not good. Probably, uh, I want to say five to six. If I'm you sort get of in that bucket, if you yeah. get five, are you dragging your ass or are you good? I'm good. I like I've historically always been good on just a little amount of sleep in my life. I think that you know that's probably a trend that started when I was a child and then a teenager and then a twenty year old and am starting to realize that it's probably not the best thing in my thirties to be doing. If Kelly has not given you a to do list, and if Sophie the pup does not disturb you and if there's not road Sophie grade, goes to bed first. She puts herself to bed. Can she sleep in? She does sometimes. Okay. Or she'll amazing. get up with us, like do the morning routine with coffee and then she'll go back to bed. Oh, she's my kind of pup. So if but if nobody disturbs you and you have no obligations and uh, I mean how many hours would you sleep into a Saturday morning? What would your sleep in look Ooh, like? Into a Saturday morning. Uh I'd say a sleep in on Saturday morning will usually go until about 8. So assuming we wake up like sleeping mon- in? Yeah, yeah, 8 is sleeping in. So how many hours would that be? That would be an That'd 8 hour sleep. Probably like 7 you? or 8, yeah. Oh, wow. Hoyles, how about you? Are you like a are you an eight hour, nine hour person, or are you like a, one of these three hour people? Oh, I love my sleep. Yeah. So if I can get eight hours, that is what I am gunning for always. And how successful? Will, how many how many days? A, how many nights a week would you get eight hours? Pretty. I mean, I go to bed early unless there's a Raptors game on. Yeah. And uh, other than that, yeah, I I try to go to bed early. I I I I love sleep and I love to nap. A good afternoon nap, a good siesta. And the, the thing is, is you got to make sure you time it just right. You can only, I can only do about 20 minutes. If I go into an hour, yeah. uh, then I'm, I'm just, I'm done for the day. I'm 20 totally minutes? Shot. Oh yeah, just a quick 20 minutes. And the greatest thing, I, I mean, if it's too short, then the nap doesn't take. And I'm just, I just feel like garbage for the rest of the I day. I feel like so you're like a... Uh... A 20 minute nap that's unbelievable that's remarkably efficient i feel like 20 minutes is and i go down for a nap and then i'm the worst because then i sit on my phone for like an hour while i'm supposed to be <laughs> napping for me that it was it was my years working hosting breakfast television that were really really tough because i you know you'd be up at 3 45 you have a production meeting at 4 30 you'd be on the air at 5 or 5 30 depending on the show right and then you'd and then you'd you'd be off work at nine you're you're done at 9 a.m and so then you go home and you'd probably kind of nap for a few hours and, and then wake up at like four in the afternoon and then I'd host the Oilers games. So I'd go get my heart beating at like 180 beats a minute, coursing with adrenaline. And then I'd come home and it's like 12, 31 o'clock in the morning and then I got to be at work at four. So I'm going to bed for two hours and it was all it was was naps. There was never any. There was just naps. And, you know, it, that was for sustained for a period of years. And I finally hit a wall. And when I got that job offer to go do a talk radio show, I was like, what time does it start? They're like nine. I was like, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. And then that just meant that I could go to bed at four thirty, five o'clock in the morning and still get the same amount of sleep and still drive myself into the wall. So nothing was really solved. But for me, it's been the family thing. It's been like becoming a dad and getting a little bit more structure. I'd be curious to hear from you, Real Talkers, about how these results resonate with you. If you feel, I mean, I appreciate everybody that takes our question of the week. Do you feel like this one? that the majority is siding with you, that your experience is like everybody else's. You can send us an email anytime. And let me show you this on our website. 
ryanjesperson.com. If you click on the connect link right here at the top right, you go to question of the week. Our new question is up. And this one's more focused on the news of the day. Presented by Y Station, we ask you how you feel about this cross-country convoy that touched down in Ottawa, writes their chief strategist, Chris Anderson. While some hail these efforts as a heroic push against coercion and tyranny, others saw the effort as, as calling for violence against the government and even being a cover for racist and extremist views to the tables to the table. He says this week, we want to hear your reflections on the convoy, on its impact and protests more broadly. If you absolutely stand against this convoy, please chime in. If you absolutely support this convoy, please chime in. Share it with your friends. The whole point of this is an opportunity for people to have their voices heard. Uh, The worst nightmare for us is heading into a question of the week where people would believe the results to be predetermined or to be predestined. That's certainly not what we endeavor to present. Regardless of your position, we appreciate everybody that shares the link to our question of the week. And of course, we will review it next week, but not early next week because there's a special occasion coming up a few days from now and the show's going to go dark for a few days because this Saturday, Sam Brooks, I suspect, will not be sleeping until 8 a.m. Will you? You might be up a little early. Are you going to give yourself till 8 a.m. to sleep in? Oh, I think I think our call time is like 7.30. Your call time for what, Sam? Well, well, oh, our call time. Well, I mean, it, I don't have to do anything at that time, but uh, my, my, my lovely bride's hair and makeup starts bright and early on, the, on the morning of our wedding. On the morning of your wedding on Saturday, <laughs> Sam's getting married. <laughs> no, I, I know that we're not just having this conversation, just the two of us, but how are you feeling? You feeling okay? You feeling feel good? Okay. I, I mean, I, I, you know, if you're in Edmonton, you're booking an event, I'm going to right now give a shout out to the Foundry Room. They've been yeah. the greatest event host venue that I've, I've ever in my life. Beautiful venue. They, they take all the stress away. Like they honestly, they handle everything. I came into this week with... 90% of the checklist done. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm like, the, the thing that's making me nervous is that there's something I haven't thought of. Like, yeah. there's something I didn't write on the list. There's something I didn't think of. It's just like, you know, I'm, I'm sort of in that space where I'm just like, well, I think I'm good to go, but there's got to be something I didn't think of. Do you have, do you have like a, do you have like a, a, a day of kind of like a morning of gift for your bride that somebody would bring to her to let her know that, that, you know, she's been on your mind. That's one thing. I'm, I'm only sharing this. What's with, I'm only sharing this. And it's not necessarily, I mean, I was, I was unaware of this, uh, but one of my favorite parts of our wedding video is when I'm getting ready with all the fellas down in Costa Rica and they're rolling video and someone comes in and delivers Carrie's gift to me, which was like a love journal that she had kept over the course of our dating. And, 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 and it's this like remarkably powerful gift. And at that moment, I realized that is what I forgot. Was a gift for the morning. No, not everybody has to do it, but I just wanted to help you out on that one. Well, that I mean, that's good because that has not been on my radar. Like, so there up, you go. There, there you, you go. go. That there is something go. that I have not thought of. Yeah. Maybe, maybe just get her like a nice cigar. Or something. Oh, there we like, go. Yeah, yeah. Kelly's into that. Something yeah. she'll love. Just yeah. a nice cigar. Our friends at Sherwood Dodge want to remind you that right now they've got some amazing deals on the full Jeep lineup, including that Grand Wagoneer that everybody's talking about. This is the one going head to head against the Navigator and the Escalade. This is Jeep's re-entry into the luxury full-size class. And this Wrangler, absolutely stunning. You can shop it now online at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge or go see them in person. Of course, they've got those 2022 Rams in stock as well. 
I've been telling you, I've been driving one. I never gave back the loaner. I I got rear-ended in my Grand Cherokee. They gave me a Ram to drive while they were doing the repair, and I said, just sign me up for the Ram. I'm driving the Ram. It's I don't even know how to describe it. I'm absolutely in love with this thing. If you have any questions about it, shoot me an email or go see the team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. You let them know that Jespo sent you and they'll look after you. Look after you big time. Thanks to everybody that's going to participate in our question of the week. We wanted to let you know that February, of course, is Black History Month as well. And so we're going to be keeping an eye on that. Sarah Hoyles is working on some remarkable content. And coming up on tomorrow's show, Long COVID. These conversations are evolving as more and more Canadians are living with the impact of post-pandemic life personally. And we're going to talk to a couple people who fit that bill. That's tomorrow morning. We'll talk to you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.